This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. How do you face the new year? What does the year 2023 hold for you? Well, maybe we cannot be exact about everything that's going to happen this year ahead, but there are some things we can predict based on just how we look at life. Let me introduce you to some people. A man whom we'll call Jim is going to be 50 years old in March. As he faces this new year, he's filled with pressures from several sources. He has two children in college and money is scarce. The only way he can possibly get a raise in his company is by getting a promotion. The decision as to who gets that new job will be made in several months. Jim thinks he deserves it, but there's also an energetic young man in that same company who is pushing Jim very hard for that spot. The pressure is mounting every week. One wrong move for Jim, and it could be all over. Jim feels alone, scared, edgy, but also determined. In fact, he's so determined to get that job until he has grown more hard-hearted and ruthless than he ever imagined he would be. As Jim faces the new year, his philosophy is, every man for himself, and let the chips fall where they may. Another person, Sue, is a young woman who's not worried about the next year. To tell you the truth, Sue is not much concerned about anything in the future. She has a drinking problem, but she denies that. Sue is not married, but she has been several times. She moves from relationship to relationship, from job to job. And in order to cover up the emptiness in her life, Sue tries to evade reality by assuming a casual attitude about it all. And if you ask Sue how she will face the new year, she will answer, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Let me tell you about a third person. John has been sick for about six months, but he won't tell anybody about it. He's really afraid he may have cancer. He has kept this a secret from his family, and John refuses to see a doctor. He's really a decent, upright, church-going man. When one of his friends at church began to detect something may be wrong, he asked John why he wouldn't go to a doctor. John's reply was that if it was God's will, he'd be okay. And if not, what good would it do to see a doctor? When your time is up, it's up, John says. But deep down inside, John dreads what the new year may bring for him. Let me introduce you to another person. Jane 
as a young girl who was raised in a Christian home, at, at least her mother is a good Christian, Jane's father loves her very much, but he has trouble expressing his love. He's been an alcoholic for many years. He's never been violent or abusive to Jane or to her mother, but his alcoholism is just something that the family accepts but never mentions. When Jane was a much younger girl, she prayed to God and asked God to make her daddy stop drinking. In fact, she promised God that she would be very active and faithful to church if God would just make her daddy stop drinking. And she prayed that prayer over and over and over. Jane faces the new year like she has faced many other new years, wondering why God has not heard her prayers. Now let me tell you about a couple. Bill and Mary Ellen are parents of a teenage son. It's hard for them to look at the new year because they keep looking back at the past year. They have tried their best to raise their son in the ways of the Lord, but their son has really disappointed them by some of his behavior. Bill looks back on the old year with regret, saying, if I had only done it differently. Mary Ellen is embarrassed to be around friends. She really would rather withdraw. Guilt and self-doubt are her constant companions. Bill and Mary Ellen believe that God will help them in the new year, but only if they do the right thing and become better parents for their son. Now what will happen to Jim, Sue, John, Jane, Bill, and Mary Ellen in this new year will not be simply the result of what life brings to them. Rather, a large part of what happens to them during this year ahead will depend on their beliefs about how life works and about how God works in their lives. Who is God as you see him? Is he a great clockmaker who has wound up the universe and has now set it aside, watching it until it finally runs down? Or is God an absentee landlord who really owns everything, but who says, lots of luck, I'll see you later, and who never returns? Or is, is God a great maker of mechanical robots called people as he pre-programs us, putting words in our mouths, forcing us to do certain things without any choices for us to make? Is God a great keeper of the books, a stern judge who adds up all our sins in one column, our virtues in another column, and then responds accordingly by either blessing or condemning us? Who is God as you see him? Or is God quite different from all what I've just described? What you believe about God is going to determine to a great extent the way you're able to face the new year. Regardless of how you understand him, God is the same. But the way you experience him will be influenced by what you believe. I've asked the question about who God is. But let me ask another question. Who are you? Who are we?
Are we like corks or beach balls bobbing about in the surf of life, carried here and there by the waves, powerless to control ourselves or our lives? Are we mechanical robots or pre-programmed computers? Are we puppets on a string? Are we children of God who are blessed only when we obey Him? When we go astray, does He disown us? Let's try to find some answers now. Where shall we turn? I think there's no better place than the Bible. There's no clearer expression of this truth that we're seeking than that which Jesus gave us in His parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to take the time right now to read that, but you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. You know this story well. It's not just a story about one person, the prodigal son. There are really three persons involved in this parable, the father and his two sons. Both sons were given the freedom by their father to do as they wished. The younger boy took his freedom and misused it. The older one did not misuse his freedom, but he showed by his attitude that he did not understand his father's love. When that younger son, the prodigal, had lost everything he had in that far country, he started for home. He felt that being a servant in his father's house was better than eating with the pigs in a far country. And he came up the road And as he walked up that road leading to his home, this boy was thrilled to see his father come out to meet him, not with a lecture, not with condemnation, not even to escort him to the servants' quarters. His father came to offer him those things he could never supply for himself, food, clothing, shelter, love, forgiveness, and much more. During the celebration which followed, the older brother stayed outside, unwilling to come in. His idea of a father was someone who would give only what was deserved, namely condemnation for misbehavior on the part of this younger brother. He never could understand the meaning of grace or mercy. Now, I believe Jesus is giving us some truths in this story which can help every one of us as we face the new year. These truths are so simple, yet they're often overlooked. Jesus is telling us in this story who God the Father is. He is a loving person who loves us so much that He is willing to risk it all by giving us our freedom, freedom even to choose not to love Him in return. God is not a benevolent stranger or an absentee landlord or a cruel judge. God is a father who not only gives us our freedom, but he is one who looks out for us a great way off. He sees that we are not able to provide for ourselves. And then he acts to give us more than we could ever ask or imagine. Napoleon was once moved by a mother's plea for a pardon on behalf of her son. However, the emperor said it was the second offense and that justice must be done. It had to be carried out. 
Well, what should she do? What should he do? Well, that's the kind of thing that we would think of that we would think about God. The emperor said that this boy demanded death. The mother cried, I do not ask for justice. I plead for mercy on behalf of my son. But, said the emperor, he does not deserve mercy. Sire, she insisted, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I'm asking for. That reply prompted Napoleon to respond, well, okay then, I will have mercy. The pardon was granted on the basis of mercy, not justice. In this parable, Jesus is also reminding us of who we are. We are not slaves, nor are we children on certain conditions. We are children of a loving father, and we can come home whether we have experienced success or failure. Even though Jesus is trying to tell us who we are and how much we are loved, we don't have to understand all this. We don't really have to know who we are in order to come back home. The prodigal son did not really know who he was when he came home. He thought he was a slave now since he had spent all he had inherited. But he was not a slave. His father would not hear to that. We do not need to get all our questions answered before we come home either. So many people are waiting until all their neat little systems are organized, until all their questions are finally answered, till everything is in its proper place. That whole thought process is futile because it throws the weight of responsibility right back on us. And the fact is that we are the ones who failed in the first place. We can never earn the blessings of the Father. His blessings are not based on our making the right decisions or upon our own ability to keep ourselves unspotted and unblemished. Facing a new year can be quite fearful if we believe, like that older brother, that we must always be right in order to, to enjoy the blessings of the Father. Even when we do what we think is right sometimes, we cannot always have that certainty. We like the captain of a destroyer as it was described in a novel. A submarine is loose in the convoy and has already sunk several vessels. The destroyer finds the enemy sub in its radar. But as it nears the spot where that enemy ship is, the captain finds that area of the sea littered with scores of survivors of the sunken ships. What shall he do? Shall he drop depth charges and kill the seamen who are in the water as he tries to destroy that enemy sub? Or shall he move away and save the men, lose the enemy sub, and jeopardize the rest of the convoy? This is a decision he must make in a matter of seconds. Sometimes in our lives, our decisions are no easier than that. Sometimes it seems that we find ourselves in a no-win situation, wherein whatever we do might be wrong. 
One of the great assurances we can have, though, as we face this new year is that God does not demand of us that we make no mistakes. We have all gone astray from His will. We have all chosen our own selfish way instead of His way. What God asks of us is that we now become responsible. We may or may not be to blame for the past, but we are accountable for what we do with the future. Frank Pollard tells in one of his books about the tragic death of a young man who was driving at a high speed one night when he crashed through a road barrier and was crushed when he fell to the bottom of a deep gorge. The bridge across that gorge had been torn away to be replaced by a new bridge. The tragedy was compounded by the fact that this young man worked with the crew that was constructing the new bridge. He should have known better, but apparently he did not. He must have thought he was on another road. And what seemed to be the right road turned into a way of death for him. In Proverbs fourteen twelve, we read, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. This is the way with everyone who has not experienced the forgiveness of sin through Jesus. You know better. You've been told over and over that Jesus is really the only way for you to have real life, abundant life. But there's something inside that just makes you want to continue on the highway to oblivion. Folks, I have good news today. There is an alternative. There is a better way. Again, we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's the best chart I know for anybody to follow into the new year. That brings me back to my original question. How do you face the new year? What does the new year hold for you? So much depends on what you believe. Every man for himself. Que sera, sera. When your time is up, it's up. If only I had done it differently. But the better way is by placing your life in the hands of a loving Father who accepts you and me even when we go astray. He is a God who provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves as through His Son Jesus He offers forgiveness, pardon, and mercy. This year ahead holds untold blessings even through some trials, perhaps, as we follow our Lord's leading. Will you pray with me? Oh God, help us to trust in you with all of our heart and not lean upon our own understanding. Help us, Lord, we pray, to give it all to you and know that even when we go wrong, you don't cast us aside. You love us through it all. Thank you for that great love that we have experienced through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.